Welcome to Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I'm your host. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Fides is Latin for faith and truth, and that's what we do on this show is talk about truth and talk about faith. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, the great song that you're hearing in the background is my friend Frank Camp. You could find him on Spotify. Great song. This song is called Heaven Can Wait. But thanks for being here, and let's get right to it. Okay, and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I'm your host, and I'm here with Talent on Loan from Rush. Uh, I am here today with a, a great guest, uh, Kristen Hawkins. Kristen is the president of Students for Life. Kristen, welcome to Fides Podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. And, and as we were talking uh, just before we, we started here, and, um, and I've had a quite a few members of your organization on my program. Um, I, I could name them all, but if you're an avid listener of my program, you'll know, you'll know all the individuals and they're all really fantastic people and they're doing great, great work. So um, congratulations to you for, uh, for, for all that you're doing and, and, and sort of like bringing about or training these, these really wonderful young people. They're uh, incredible. Yeah, aren't they? They really are. Um, so, so for the, I know a ton about your your group, um, but obviously there may be some people who don't know as much or or are still learning. Um, tell us about Students for Life. Um, what's your mission? What you do, um, and all about it. Yeah, Students for Life was started in the '70s as a student-run organization. Uh, called Campus. In 1987, they changed their name to American Collegians for Life at Georgetown. And it was a group of students who met every year um, who were leading right to life pro-life groups on their campuses. Um, in 2005, the student organization, which had an annual slate of officers, and they tried to have a get together every year around the March for Life in D.C., decided to do something different. They changed the name to Students for Life and they made a commitment to have a plan to go full-time uh, and to be aggressive, to go on the offense in college campuses where the abortion industry targets. Uh, that's where my story with Students for Life begins. I had started a pro-life group in my high school, uh, at my college, I got involved in politics and moved to Washington, D.C. to serve at the Republican National Committee and the George W. Bush administration. And a friend of mine called me to let me know that he had just met with some students who wanted to start a national pro-life organization and hire staff. And he said, you know, you need to meet with them. Washington's a pretty small place. You know, within a couple of months of being there, everyone knew me as the pro-life girl. Um, and so that's what I did. I, I met with the, the students who were made up of the board. Um, I was like, this is fantastic. I wish I would have had these resources and, and you know, the vision that, that they had of starting groups on campuses of really training and mobilizing them. So I was hired to be the first, you know, paid employee of the organization and to mm -hmm. take this, this uh, organization from volunteer to a professional entity. Um, today, um, nearly 15 years later, We've gone from the one employee, me, uh, to almost 70 full-time team members scattered throughout the country. Our headquarters is still outside Washington, D.C., but the vast majority of our team aren't even there because they're on campuses every single day. Um, we have over 100,000 active supporters across the country. We've trained over 120,000 students, um, and we're currently serving about 1,300 students for life groups in all 50 states. 
Yeah, that it is amazing. And, and it's am- even more amazing to me that these are so many of these members are young college students or freshly out of college and, and just they're, you know, they're learning beyond fighting for a, obviously a great cause. They're learning leadership. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're learning right. to speak, they're learning to debate and, and argue. And um, I, I wouldn't want to argue with, uh, with your members, that's for sure, because they have a lot of knowledge. <laughs> um, so, so uh, you, you speak on a lot of college campuses, and you, you, you give a talk, and then you take questions. Um, and I've watched some of those uh, interactions, and they're quite good. Um, I, I like those kinds of interactions when there's tough questions from the crowd because you handle them well. Me but too. recently, yeah. <laughs> but recently you coined a phrase that may be new to the dictionary, which is fetus phobia. So um, <laughs> I think that's new. Maybe it's not. Maybe it was just the first time I've heard it. But tell us about it. How did it come about? And what does it mean? Uh, fetus phobic is someone who is afraid of the natural consequences of heterosexual sex. And is terrified of, of, of a preborn child, of a little baby. Um, and so I, I used that term recently on a campus. Um, it was uh, Western Kentucky University during my speech. And of course, that was uh, you know, the bravest pro-abortion student who was there. That was her um, you know, outrage moment. She came up to ask me a question. And uh, you know, first, she you know, told me how many isms she was. And you know, she was... Middle Eastern descent, and uh, mm-hmm. I think she was a member of the LGBTQIA group and atheist, and 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 mm-hmm. and her argument with me was that she had been um, a victim of what she felt to be racism in the past, of phobias, people's homophobia in the past, and so how dare I use that term because it diminished. Uh, the victimization that she currently or in the past had endured. It was, it was actually a completely crazy argument. Um, and she actually, throughout the conversation, if you, if you watch the full dialogue with her, she actually agreed with me on many points because she started talking about the cost of um, adoption and children in foster care. And then I told her what we did in the pro-life movement and how all of our pregnancy centers. And so she would agree with me. And then she would say, but you're still a racist. I'm like, oh, okay. And when did race come into this discussion? Did I yeah. ever talk about race in my entire 45 minute presentation? No, I never did. Um, so it, it was really interesting to see, uh, the reaction to fetus phobic. I'm probably going to try to use it again at some point. Uh, I'm speaking at Arizona state tonight. Uh, I might try to get that in, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable because she actually, at one point she's like, fine, you can call me ageist, but just you can't call me fetus phobic. Uh, she didn't want to use the term phobic, but I mean, this is someone who clearly was unwilling to, de- to, to acknowledge the humanity of another human being. They were, there's a legit phobia that they have of uh, these other human beings. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny is when you watch that video, uh, you know, she, she's so, you wonder if she realizes her hypocrisy or, or the silliness of her argument, you know, that here she is talking about, she, she's angry that she's not allowed to be the number one victim, so to speak, when in <laughs> fact, right. And, and when in fact, you know, the, the victim that you're talking about is completely and utterly helpless and without any kind of blame whatsoever. And she has no problem killing it 
Mm-hmm. But she's a, wants to make sure you know that it's that she's been insulted before. However, she has been. It, it's amazing, yeah. uh, uh, crazy. Yeah, no, um, it's funny because I was hoping the audience picked that up on her. I didn't want to call her out for her own selfishness there. Yeah. Like, oh, so you're mad that somebody else is being victimized on the show. But right. uh, it, the audience, I really wish sometimes we got crowd reactions to how the audience was hearing what she was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are really the best. Um, so I actually want to go into, since, since you brought up, um, you had talked about adoption and all the things that uh, the mm-hmm. Students for Life and other pro-life organizations do. I've gotten this from other people that have, that, and you probably heard it. You only care about the baby uh, once it's, yeah. when, when it's in the womb, outside of the womb, you guys don't care. You don't care. Um, and you, you get into so many of those things, such as also that we need Planned Parenthood. What are women going to do if we defund Planned Parenthood? Where are they going to go for their health care? So do me a favor. And as well as I've heard you many times before, um, get rid of, let's get rid of those, those silly arguments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we talked about Planned Parenthood, you know, my goal is that every single Planned Parenthood would shut down tomorrow mm-hmm. in America, that there would be no Planned Parenthood. And it's not as scary as you may think it uh, would be. Uh, there are today over 8,000 federally cooperative health centers, FQHCs that are already federally funded. They don't have a big um, you know, lobbying entity, political operation like Planned Parenthood. But these federally cooperative health centers are operating in low income, urban, rural neighborhoods. They actually do every and commit every single service that Planned Parenthood performs except abortions and way more. And they actually care for men, women, children, families. And if you need a service um, that they don't have uh, that they can offer, they're actually legally obligated to make sure you get to a healthcare provider who can help you. I actually go to a fairly qualified health center uh, near my home because I live in um, a rural neighborhood and it's got a general protect practitioner, uh, psychiatry, podiatry, dentistry, all the doctors kind of come to the clinic once a week or every other week to see patients. Um, and it makes it easier for people who don't want to drive or can't drive 40 minutes or an hour to the physician. Um, so every single Planned Parenthood would shut down today. There's a fewer than 600 clinics across the country. Every fairly qualified health center would only have to see two more patients a week because fairly qualified health centers are already serving 21 million Americans. Uh, Planned Parenthood boasts that they serve about 2 million. Um, so we don't, we don't need them. And these are centers that are actual nonprofits. Mm-hmm. They don't make money off of abortions. They don't make money off of people's poor decisions. They are operating a nonprofit entities. You can go to find a health center.hersa.gov to put in your zip code and find a federally qualified health center near you. Um, so it's just, you know, it's a myth that we mm-hmm. need Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is a money-making entity. Um, you can look no further than, you know, look at transgender hormone replacement uh, therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, they are now the second largest distributor of these 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 drugs um, to children, and they're not even following uh, prescriptive use for them. Um, and because they're going to make money from this, um, just like they do with abortions. You know, uh, Carol Everett, a former abortion clinic owner in Dallas, said that you know her goal when she operated abortion facilities was four abortions for every one woman in Dallas. They wanted repeat abortion, repeat customers. And that's why they target young people. That's why they target schools. Um, They want to create a customer. And that's what they do. That's why Planned Parenthood cares about teaching sex ed in public schools, because they want to build a relationship with young people as soon as possible. And when she starts having sex, she comes in, get to, you know, birth control, 
then she breaks up. She needs an STD test. Maybe the birth control is not making her feel so great. Then they recommend an IUD, which by the way, they make more money from an IUD implant uh, implantation uh, than birth control. Then if she gets pregnant, they know she's going to come back to them because she's been going to them for years. Um, So we we just don't need Planned Parenthood. When you talk about foster care, when we talk about adoption, we talk about, you know, all of these things. I just kind of like to ask people when they bring that up, when they bring foster care, the number of children waiting for adoptive families or children who were in foster care and who've said they were abused. My, my simple question is, well, how many of the children who are currently today waiting for a foster family or adoptive family, how many of them should be aborted? How many of them should be killed right now? Mm-hmm. No one would say any child, no matter the right. circumstances that they're in right now, should be put to death. Um, and, and that's really our point in the pro-life movement of isn't there something less extreme that we can do that we can remedy the situation with that doesn't resort to the violence of ending another human being's life. That's what we offer in the pro-life movement um, is, is that question, right? Of like, let's do something else. So, um, you know, it is pro-life families that adopt who, you know, work and volunteer and donate to pregnancy centers and maternity homes and adoption agencies in their local community. The pro-lifers are becoming foster parents, um, but also, you know, pro-choicers. There's, there's something for everyone to do mm-hmm. when it comes to talking about, you know, the 100,000 children who are, are waiting for an adoptive home um, in our country. Um, but it's not something that like, even if I did absolutely nothing, even if I never lifted a finger, like we, you know, soon to life, we have legislation trying to speed up the foster adoption process in the state of Virginia. Um, you wouldn't believe the opposition we've met with that. Um, so we, ha- we've, we have initiatives, we talk about adoption all the time, but even if I did nothing, it doesn't justify saying that that child should be aborted. Even if I'm a total hypocrite and I do nothing, uh, it doesn't justify anyone aborting these children. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Right. It's, it's really a, a, a false, you know, sort of argument they're trying to make. Um, but I, before we go on, I want, I want to just sort of summarize for everybody listening, because it could sometimes be difficult to follow numbers, uh, when you're listening to something, even if you're watching it on video. So the federally qualified health centers that do every bit as much and more for, for people that need health care, that need all the different health care that are, that are poor, under, underserved, underprivileged. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and they serve men, they serve women, they serve children. 8,000 of those exist throughout the country. Okay. 8,000. Mm-hmm. There are fewer than 600 Planned Parenthoods. Okay. So mm-hmm. just let that sink in for everybody who says that we need Planned Parenthood uh, to take our tax dollars and then turn around and spend it on abortions and give it to liberal politicians. Uh, 600 Planned Parenthoods, 8,000 federally mm. qualified health care facilities. Okay. Um, so I wanted to see if you could speak a little bit on, on a couple things I, I, I was reading about is um, HR, um, HR one and HR five, if you are yeah. able to, um, and just talk, you know, just for a few minutes about those and the impact of those on, on life issue, but also the, or your organization or organizations like it, um, and how those, if they pass will, will affect all of us. Yeah. I mean, the Democrats have wasted absolutely zero minutes 
in trying to destroy our constitutional republic as we know it. And I don't say this lightly. I'm not saying this as an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. What is happening in Washington, D.C. Is an, is an attack on our entire country. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to. They're trying to rush it through during the honeymoon period before people figure out that Joe Biden isn't run, really running the show in Washington, D.C. Um, but it, it, it's significant and everyone should be concerned. Um, and if you're a pro-lifer who voted for Joe Biden, you caused this problem um, because you're not really pro-life. I'm, I'm actually really struggling with people uh, and friends who said, that, oh, I'm against abortion, but I'm, I hate Donald Trump and I'm voting for Joe Biden because everything that we see happening is because of, of, of the election. Elections have consequences. You could hate Donald Trump all you want, but he was the most pro-life president we ever had and the, the folks he put into place the mm -hmm. leaders we had even with uh the u.s senate at the time even with nancy pelosi leading the senate we still had a republican majority in the senate mm -hmm. um and i'm equally as mad at donald trump with with the election in georgia and the senate runoff elections which cost the senate control mm -hmm. the gop control uh hr1 is significant it's called the for the people act it's really the for the corrupt politicians act it will ensure that that um, we can never have a fair and honest election ever again. All the shenanigans we saw um, this year uh, will be in spades. Mm -hmm. um, every single state that mandates you have to show an ID before you vote, that will be wiped away. There is no federalism approach at all in this bill, um, which is crazy. It is absolutely insane that leftists say that having to show an ID before you vote is racist because you have to show an ID. Like Delta Airlines, when uh, Georgia just passed a law, called it racist. I have to have an ID to get on a Delta Airlines plane. Right. So is Delta Airlines also racist too? Right. So it is, it's insane, but it's beyond the election. And so sometimes pro-lifers are like, oh, well, it's just an election law. Well, no, no, no. Well, one, it matters because if we can never win, Republicans, conservatives can never win an election again. That means pro-lifers can never win an election again because unless you've been living under a rock, the Democratic Party has been taken over by pro-abortion. Mm -hmm. Uh, leaders and the pro-abortion lobby, even the even though about 30% of Democrats are pro-life, but their party has been taken over. The platform's insane. It advocates for abortion all nine months for whatever reason and funded by your taxpayer dollars. So even if you take that aside, look, dig further into this 700-page monstrosity, you'll also see there is provisions that will force organizations like ours, any 501c4, any 501c3 who talks about politics, who mentions politicians by name, who mentions bills, will be forced to disclose our supporters. Why do they want to do that? Because they want cancel culture to take care of conservative supporters. Mm -hmm. They want people to say, look, we can't donate because we don't want our business. We don't want our home. We don't, we don't can't have protesters. And they know the woke mob will come after them, just like, you know, in California, when the state of California makes uh, people disclose their donors, organizations, and they say it's confidential. Then suddenly the state of California, the attorney general's office led by Kamala Harris leaks out information, all the supporters to numerous conservative causes, but none to liberal causes. So, you know, all this information will become leaked. So that's one. Uh, HR 5, uh, it's called the Equality Act. It's the Inequality Act. Because what it will do is it'll say, if you are a Christian, if you are a person of faith, of conscience, who works in medicine as a doctor, as a nurse, as a pharmacist, if you refuse to be complicit in abortion, if you refuse to be complicit in transgender hormone replacement uh, protocol, if you refuse these things, you will not only lose your job, you will be prosecuted mm -hmm. for a federal crime. Federal crime. It's un 
unbelievable. Um, and, and this is, this is a big deal. This will be the end as we know it to, um, pro-lifers, Christians being able to serve in medicine. Think about the Catholic hospitals. I mean, this is, it's unbelievable. Um, it's yeah. So there's that. There's also the each act that they just introduced, which will federally repeal the Hyde amendment, make permanent that taxpayers in all 50 States have to pay for abortions. Um, there, there are a bunch of different things happening right now. They've got the filibuster repeal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm telling you what Chuck Schumer, every single day, he wakes up thinking, how do I convince Joe Manchin to be able to say he'll be for the repeal of filibuster without really saying he's for the repeal of a filibuster that will happen. Um, um, now we have the court packing scheme. I mean, why the hell stop at four Supreme court justices? Right. Why stop at four? Why not we add a hundred? I mean, the, we're just making up numbers now. Uh, Nancy Pelosi said she's against it. Um, I wouldn't trust that, you know, that is the case. So there is, there is a lot happening in Washington. I mean, think about what happened. Uh, earlier this week, the FDA pulls the Johnson and Johnson vaccine because six people, one person died, got life-threatening blood clots, pulled the vaccine, which they should have. Um, but then on the same exact day said that ACOG, the National College of OBGYNs, which is rapidly pro-choice, has been taken over by the pro-abortion lobby. They sued in the midst of COVID with Javier Becerra, the, the current HHS secretary, who was at the time the California AG, they sued the FDA and said that they can't have, they need to have no test abortions. It's too risky for women to go in to confirm they're pregnant, confirm the age of their child, confirm they're not having eptomic pregnancy. They should be allowed to administer webcam abortions. At the same day that they pulled a Johnson Johnson vaccine, the FDA says, yep, that's fine. Over 24 women have died from chemical abortion. The acting director of the FDA in the past had already testified as to why you could should not be distributing these drugs online. Now we can, and it, it doesn't matter. Despite the fact that if a woman is I don't know, having atomic pregnancy, it'll be deadly for her to have these drugs. Or if a woman is RH negative and goes through with the abortion and doesn't get a Rogan shot, she'll never be able to carry another pregnancy to term ever again. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening in Washington, DC. Yeah, it's ugly. I mean, it, I, it's so ugly, so hypocritical. And if they get away with, uh, with these, these two house bills, uh, one in five, I, we're, we're going to be would have a country that they want, which is elections yeah. don't matter. No matter what we vote, it doesn't, yeah. it's not going to really matter. Maybe we get a Republican yep. state like here in Ohio. Um, but fine. We have, we, we are stuck with a, you know, a liberal uh, house and Senate and president and so on. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really sad. Um, I, I want to kind of maybe sort of conclude with um, just your general thoughts on on the reasons why we fight this fight. And, and I call it a fight because that's what it is. There's no question. And the realization that the left in this country, they never, ever, ever give in. They never compromise. They mm-hmm. never say, you know what? Science has come forward and really shown that a baby feels pain, that they have their own DNA, that there's a heartbeat very early on. You know what? Okay. I tell you what, we'll stop abortions after there's a heartbeat or something like that. Mm-hmm. Instead, not only do they not do that, they take it beyond that. If a baby's born alive and so on. So this is a, this is a, a group of people mm-hmm. that on this issue and many others, they double down on their evil. They never back mm-hmm. down, but it's always our stupid side 
that says, well, exceptions here, exceptions there, or we can, mm-hmm. you know, talk about that maybe briefly. I, I don't know. I, I'm just a little bit talking in circles of venting a little bit, but, um, and from what you see with your organization and in the places that you go. Yeah. I mean, for years you had wishy-washy Republicans, for example, today I'm in Arizona for years, you know, they had Senator Kyle, Senator McCain, who, you know, campaigned as a hardcore conservative and then go to Washington and become friends, became friends with all the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And I was asking my friend as to why so many of the Arizona Republicans were hardcore supporting Donald Trump. Um, And, and it could kind of make sense though, because for so long, uh, especially here in Arizona and, and other states, even in the state house in, in Phoenix, they elect Republicans and the Republicans betray them mm-hmm. and they you know, fall victim to the, the lobby, the abortion lobby. Um, and so I think that's, that, that's significant. That's why people got so excited about, you know, Donald Trump's presidency is that, you know, you may not like what he said, but dang it, he would do what he said he was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, you may not like the manner and the way he said it, but he stuck with his guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people admired that. Um, and, and I think that that's what's so interesting is you look at the abortion lobby and how dogged they are. Uh, with abortion, I mean, sorry, the Democratic Party with abortion, and you look at the Republican Party, and the Republican Party is like, oh, we're a big tent, anyone's welcome, you know, and and I think President Trump actually did a lot. I remember when I worked at the Republican National Committee, I was like made fun of for being one of the few active pro-lifers at the Republican National Committee. Now, everyone's pro-life there, and and there's been a a significant shift where the pro-life movement has taken its position of prominence within the conservative movement. And that has been recent and that's been significant. And that's actually what needs to happen because you have on the Democratic side, they, you have to be a hundred percent pro-abortion. I mean, if you're not like in Chicago, I mean, think about Congressman Dan Lipinski. He was like the last surviving pro-life, actual pro-life Democrat uh, in Congress. And they took him out and we were there door knocking for him, phone banking, um, he fended off a couple of attacks, but AOC went after him bitterly. Why? Because he was the first congressman last year to sign the discharge petition, trying to get Nancy Pelosi to bring the Abortion Survivors Protection Act up for a vote in the House floor. And she, they promised they were, because he was against infanticide, mm-hmm. who said if babies were accidentally born alive in an abortion facility, that yeah, they should get oxygen and life-sustaining care. By the way, we just filed... Uh, Representative Steve Scalise just filed a discharge petition. We have 200 and I think five or 10 signers. We'll get to 213. There's 213 members of the GOP in the House. All 213 will sign. We only need five Democrats to get to 218 to force Nancy Pelosi to bring up their vote. This is important because when you're in the minority, you can't get anything voted on unless you get a discharge petition. Members have to go, they have to physically sign. And so we've been, you know, trying to contact every moderate Democrat. And I was talking to um, Congressman Kat Kamek. She was whipping the vote. She's a, she's a new uh, Congresswoman from Florida, was, was actually almost aborted herself. She's the one in charge of votes. I was speaking with her this morning and she was telling me about these Democratic, you know, Congressmen, Congresswomen that were in moderate districts who she's been talking to. And they're like, yeah, we support the bill, but we can't vote for it because of the Dane because the name says abortion survivors. And that's actually what frustrates me the most, Jerry, about Washington, D.C., is I know if you walk up to the majority of the Democrats and the Congress, and if you said a baby has just been born alive from abortion, you're holding the baby, do you deny it care? They, 
instinctively, I, I don't believe they've all lost their humanity. Yeah. They would give care. They would say, oh my gosh, you know, if it was my grandchild, they would do something. But mm -hmm. they don't want to think about it that way. They think about it in a philosophical term and they care more about their power. They care more about keeping their power, keeping the abortion lobby off their back. They do about doing the damn right thing. And it is so frustrating. Um, but that's why we have to be out. There. That's why we have to keep speaking out. That's why we're going out as a pro-life gen protesting in front of moderate Democratic congressmen and congresswomen's offices saying sign to this chart. This is an easy thing. Even if you're pro-choice, you should agree that babies born alive accidentally during abortion should receive oxygen. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's like simple. Everyone would agree with that. Uh, but that is how um, powerful Planned Parenthood and the abortion lobby is. So we have to be more vocal. We have to be louder. And we can't give up in this fight because if we give up, they win. Yep. And they know it. And they want to beat us into submission on campuses, what they're doing. You know, the, the cyberbullying our students are facing, yeah. the attacks, the legal attacks. They are doing everything possible to beat us down. So we just shut up and we, you know, become insular and say, you know, we're just going to shut the world out, focus on, inside. We can't let them win. We can't because lives are at stake. This isn't yeah. like, I wish it was just about like, you know, tax policy. Right. Right. I, I, you know, like when I think about politics, like I wish the day after election, I woke up and was like, Oh, my 401k is going to go down. Like I, I could be okay with that. Right. But the results of the election mean more lives are going to end. And I'm actually going to be complicit in that because I'm going to, they're going to be taking my tax dollars to pay for it and yeah. yours. Yeah, no. So well, so well put. I, I, I sense your, your frustration in, in your words and your tone. And, and I think it's, you know, I think we all feel that way. We have, we, we need tough minded people in this fight because the other side will beat us down. They will seek to cancel you, to fire you from your job. If you even, if you hit like on a, on a Facebook post anymore, it's really sad. And we, we have to be unafraid. That's one of the things I liked about Trump again, is that he didn't care. He, he took his stance yep. and, and he threw it in your face. And if you fought him back, he threw it right back at you. So um, I love it. So uh, Kristen Hawkins, president of Students for Life. Thanks so much. That was really great. Uh, enjoyed talking to you greatly. Love the work you do. Uh, love the work your organization is doing for, yeah. um, thank you. for all these great people. Um, yeah. Thank you for being here. Yeah. And yeah, uh, anyone who likes what I said, I didn't make you too bad. I have a podcast, so you can come and listen to my podcast. It's called explicitly pro-life. As you notice, I can't go a long time without slipping up. So they, my staff just embraced it. It's explicitly pro-life, but it's not too bad. Yes. No, I, I apologize. I meant to finish with, with, um, where people can find you. So studentsforlife.org is the website. Um, you guys are on Facebook mm -hmm. as well. There's a lot of great content. It's not just, you know, posts there's great articles. Um, and that's where I I've seen a lot. So, and then your podcast, uh, obviously listen, uh, to Kristen's podcast as well and mine. Um, but Kristen, thanks so much for being here. Really, really love what you're doing and, uh, keep up the great fight. Thanks, Jerry. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of Fee Days Podcast. We will see you next time. 